Go ahead and have a seat if you would. Did you press record? You rock. We're getting organized. We're, we have different people taking over different things, which is wonderful. Oh, here we are. Beautiful. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, Roy. That was awesome. Um, you know, when we worship well, when we focus on God, the rest kind of drifts away. Uh, at least it does for me. The, the stress, the worry, the anxiousness just goes away because it's all about him. It's all about what Jesus did for us. Oh, thank you. On that cross that we now live because he lives. Fourth and fifth graders, we love you, but leave. <laughs> um, John is your teacher today. John is your teacher. Go have fun with John. Learn some things. Interact. It'll be a good time. Oh, there goes Michael Jackson. <laughs> so you are here on our last week of evangelism. We had a, a week on evangelism, then we had an outreach project. Last week, Ben was here, our sending pastor from Common Ground Vegas. If you missed last week, go get the podcast. Get online. You know, you can look it up on Podbean or just go to your, if you have a, a smartphone, just go to whatever podcast you use and look up Common Ground Carson. Listen to last week because it was really good. Uh, ben talked a lot about us changing the community, community transformation. How do we go in and make a difference? Uh, and he said, we go to the dark places. The church isn't meant to be, you know, just this holy huddle. We're meant to be a light on the hill. We're meant to go to the dark places and make a difference. And so that's, that's where we're at. So this week is our last week, and we're going to look at how. Okay, so we're talking about evangelism. How do we share our faith? How can we see the community actually transformed? That's what we're doing today. Do you want to see that happen? I mean, that's, that's the question. I mean, do you really want to see that happen? Or are you content with church as it's always been? Are you content with Christian life as it's always been of, and maybe not all of you have had this, but some of us have had a life, you know, we grew up in the church and whatever, not a lot of excitement. Are you content with that? Or do you want to see God do something? Do you want to see lives changed? Do you want to see marriages healed? Do you want to see people drawn to Christ and things change? Just so you know, I was listening this week as I was studying, and again, I heard it again. There are places in the world where the gospel is moving forward. South Korea, Africa, Argentina. There's, there's places where the gospel is going, and people are coming to the Lord in droves, and things are changing. But it's not happening in the U.S. And so that can be depressing, but I don't think it should be. I think we're ready. I think we're ready. I think it's time that the, the gospel's going to go here. I think it's time for many to come for us to see a revival. Are you ready for that? Are you ready? Let's go. Let's do this. So, so that's what we're talking about today is how can we see this happen? So this week, um, Lydia, she's our 11-year-old, fifth grade, uh, she uh, was, was doing some homework and Callie said, hey, Lydia needs help with her homework. So I looked at it and she's doing uh, adding and subtracting fractions. I'm like, oh, no big deal. We can, you know, she's like, I, I can't get this one. I said, oh, well, here's how you do it. You know, she's like, that's not how you do it. Said, yeah, that's how you do it. No, that's not how, that's not how they talk. Common core. Common core. So I'm looking at this. Yeah, adding subtraction fractions is easy. You take that, you know, and I just, the way I used it, really easy. No, you have to do this and this. and what. Now, she was doing pretty well. Um, <laughs> three... <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, but the thing was, is she was doing most of them right, but there was one 
that she was getting wrong. The problem was she missed that class. So she didn't hear the teacher teach how to do that part. And then as I'm looking at it, I had to relearn how to do it Common Core style so I could help her do it. Now, I, I was thinking about that as our Christian life. If you, if you go through this life, you know, if we really want to expand the kingdom, that's our mission here, to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. If we really want to do that, there's a better way to do it. If we're actually trying to be a witness and evangelize, share our faith, and we're not seeing the results, it could be we're doing it wrong. It could be we need to relearn. So we need to go to Common Core and figure out the right way. But there is a better way to do things to get the right result. And so that's what we want to talk about today. Now, um, as we think about evangelism, right? And it's the E word. It's kind of scary. But so we'll just call it, you know, sharing our faith. When we think about that, there's several ways to do it. When I was in college, I was on the evangelism team. And so what we would do is we would get together on an evening. It was a Friday night or something. And we would go down to the Santa Monica Pier in California. And now we're all going to go evangelize. And so, I mean, we're looking for our targets. You know what I mean? Like, who's the one uh, apart from the group? Ah, oh, we'll get that, you know? And so it was all about, it was high pressure and really nervous. And, and so we'd pray, but then we'd go and we'd try and find somebody. And we're just trying to get the conversation on Jesus and then try and get them to make a commitment to follow Jesus. And I'll be honest, I hated it. <laughs> I did. It was, it was high pressure. It was, it's up to me to save this person. Uh, and, and there wasn't a lot of fruit from it. And I'm not saying God can't use that, but there wasn't a lot of fruit from it. Uh, the next year in college, so we had to, I went to Biola, so we had to have some kind of a ministry. The next year, instead of doing that, I joined a group. It was me and one other guy, and we went down to Watts. If you ever listen to rap music, you've probably heard of Watts. Um, gang Central. So me and, and he was my roommate at the time, I think. We would go to Watts, to this inner city program. It was an after-school program with elementary kids. These kids were rough. <laughs> I mean, these kids were wanting to fight each other all the time, and, and there was race stuff going on. There was one white kid, and he got beat up more than any of them. Um, but so we would go to this after-school program, and we would lead games and teach the Bible, and that was way more effective. It was way more effective because we were going, and we were bringing something to them. We were giving them relationship with people that cared about them. And then we were sharing Christ with them. We were putting game, we were doing something. Uh, I went to Russia on some missions trips where we had these camps for orphans. It was a two-week-long camp for orphan kids. There was much more, I guess you could say, fruit and success from doing that than this street evangelism because we were going and we were offering them something. We were giving th them a place to go to feel loved. Now, these kids came from orphanages. There would be maybe two leaders for every 20 kids or something like that. Kids get missed in the mix, and here they are with all these leaders just loving on them, spending time with them, talking to them as much as we could in our broken Russian, uh, but through, through translators, but just being with them and playing with them. There was much more fruit. When we went to share the truth, these kids knew, these people love me. You know, and from that, we saw fruit. We saw kids adopted. We saw all kinds of things happen, but people came to Jesus. But do you see the difference? You see the difference in, one, just going and selling Jesus to people, trying to get a notch in your belt, and one, bringing something, trying to help them in life, building a relationship and loving them. There's a difference. Remember, we talked two weeks ago, or maybe it was three weeks ago, that when we go to share our faith, when we go to witness, it's as easy as telling two stories. Your story and then God's story. Your story includes God. And then God's story includes four parts. Creation, fall, rescue, and restoration. And we have booklets in the back if you want to take those to go through that story and learn. But that's kind of what we're, we're looking for. That's how we move forward. That's how we go. And we want to see our community 
transformed one life at a time. We were praying before the service today, and man, it was a it was battle. We were battling in prayer for this group right here. We were battling for this city. But we want to see lives changed one life at a time. The community changed one life at a time, one marriage at a time, one family at a time. Do you believe God can do it? <laughs> I do. I do. And I know he wants to. I know he wants to. He said he came to seek and save the, life, the lost. Jesus said that he came to give life and give it abundantly. I want that life. And I want to see others have that life. Let me pray. And we will uh, we'll get into this. We're going to be in Luke 10 today. That's on page 599 if you're in one of these. Um, while I pray, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand and, and Kara will give you one. Um, but let, let me open us. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you. I thank you for your word. Um, I thank you that when we understand the principles of, of community transformation that we can trust you. God, I thank you that it's you that wants to change lives, that it's your power through us, that we don't have to be creative, we don't have to be smart, we need to be dependent on you. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, move, uh, bring healing to this group of people right here, and then bring healing to this city and these communities around here. Father, we love you, we trust you, in Jesus' name, amen. So again, we're going to be in Luke 10, go ahead and turn there, page 599, but I want to share the first thing. Why is it that we don't see fruit? Why is it we're not seeing, at, at least in the U.S., we're not seeing many people coming to Jesus and growing in Him and experiencing life? And I would say this, just like when we taught on prayer, we began this year teaching on prayer. If you missed that again, you can also go to the podcast. Why aren't we seeing answer to prayer? Because we're not praying. <laughs> Why aren't we seeing fruit from evangelism, from sharing our faith? Because we're not sharing our faith. This is in your notes. And if you're a note taker and you have the, the app, you can do it right there and email it to yourself. But this is in your notes, the greatest hindrance to fruitful evangelism is not sharing our faith. That's the main thing, just not doing it. We're scared. We're scared. But then if we do share, I think there's, there's a handful of traps, specifically three traps we can fall into. And here's the first one, debating in order to be right. Brendan, who is uh, right in the back there on his phone, are, are you doing the app? Good job. Good job. You're not texting? Good. Awesome. I like it. So, you know, Brendan, I think he's a pretty smart kid. He loves Jesus. And, and it was a couple years ago and he would go in and I remember him coming home from school saying, hey, we talked about evolution today and whatever. And, and I, I showed him how dumb they were or something like that. And, <laughs> and at the end, I said, so I said, were you arguing to win the argument or were, was your goal to win the person? And he's like, well, the person. <laughs> but, you know, we a lot of times we want to be right. But if you look at the way Jesus went, he always went with love. Jesus never just wanted to win an argument. He wanted to win the person. And so that's our thing too. We don't want to be right. We want to win the person. So that's one of our things is just trying to be right. Now here's the second one, and this was me on evangelism team, the Jesus salesman. You know, it's like a, the Jehovah's Witness or the Mormon, door to door, just trying to get a notch, just coming, you know, I'm going to win you over. <laughs> And again, there, there's, you're not giving them anything. Do you know what I mean? You're not, you're not helping them. You're just trying to give them the truth, which is a wonderful thing. And some people might accept that. But this is kind of a high-pressure, just Jesus salesman approach. And again, a lot of times, there's not a lot of fruit with that, especially in our culture. There's not a lot of fruit. And here's the third, I would say, wrong way, is the passive approach to evangelism. And we talked about this our first week. And that's where they'll see Jesus by the way I live which they better, that's true. But then I'm not gonna push my beliefs on them. 
This is the cultural, well, we need to be tolerant. And so when you do talk about Jesus, you say something like this. Well, I believe, and you emphasize that because that's what our culture does. Well, I believe in what you're saying is you're free to believe whatever you want, but I believe this. Well, you know what? It's okay to be bold with this is the truth. The truth is right here, and the truth says there's one way to heaven. His name is Jesus Christ. And you can do that in a loving way, not an in-your-face way. But there's this passive way of, well, I don't really want to share. I don't want to push my beliefs on anybody. That's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so now we want to look at a good pattern, the way God set it forth, that we can be intentional. What is the right way? What is the common core way? You can call that the right way. Of going about evangelism, there is a right way where you earn the right to speak, and they will listen. So let's look at that. Please turn to Luke chapter 10. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9 this morning. 1 through 9. Now, quick context. The author of the book of Luke is Luke. That's why it's called Luke. He's also the author of the book of Acts. Luke is very, very concerned with the progress of the gospel. And so the book of Luke, you see it moving toward Jerusalem. And so Luke is writing to, to just give the message, here's how it moved forward. And, and Jesus is moving toward Jerusalem, toward his passion, where he's going to give his life. Then the book of Acts, remember Acts 1-8, we taught on that, where it says, you know, um, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. And so in the book of Acts, the gospel moves from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria. To, so there's this pattern Luke is concerned with the progress of the gospel. And here in Luke now, he's concerned about it moving toward Jerusalem. So that's kind of the, the picture. If you look at uh, chapter 9, verse 51 real quick, Jesus, it says this. It says, when the days drew near, this is Jesus, for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Set his face. Uh, the way you understand this, this picture is Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew he was going to go to the cross. He knew he was going to suffer and die. He knew he was going to rise again and in that bring life. So he set his face. He was determined. I am now going to Jerusalem. There's no more fluff and stuff. <laughs> we're going and we're going to get this done. And so he was determined and he's moving toward Jerusalem. And now look at verse 10 or chapter 10, verse 1. It says, after this, after he set his face, after he's determined he's going to go that direction, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them ahead of them two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, and he sends out, so 70 or 72, depending on your translation, um, ancient manuscripts vary. They're like 50-50, so it's not a, but it's a minor thing. But the, the, he's sending them to every town he's going to go. So he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, and on the way, we're going to go to this town, this town, this town, and this town. So you guys go two by two to each town. So I guess there was like 35 towns, I guess, he went to, if you do the math there. Um, and so he was going, and he was saying, prepare the way. I, I'm coming that way. And so he sends them out. The reason we're looking at this is Luke was concerned with the progress of the gospel. And he shows us here people being sent and the instructions they received. At the beginning of 9, Luke chapter 9, the 12 are sent. And there's some parallels. You see some things in both. I think Luke included this for you and for me. Because there's a lot of things that were not included in the Gospels. Why is this in there? For you and I to look at and go, okay, Jesus sent them and he gave them specific instructions. There's principles for us there too. We are not the 12 apostles. We were not sent exactly like that, but there's principles there that we can learn from. I think that's why Luke put it here. So you and I can go, oh, look at that. 
There is a, a best way. There is a useful way to do it. So he sends them out. Now look at 10, chapter, or chapter 10, sorry, verse 1. He appointed 72 others, uh, or 70. It, that number is probably symbolic. Commentators agree that 70 is symbolic. Uh, in the ancient Near East, what they believed was that there were 70 nations on earth. And so 70 is kind of a picture of reaching all the nations. You know, Jesus had in mind, reach everybody. Uh, we know that in the end, there's going to be somebody from every tribe, every tongue in heaven with us. So he's concerned about the whole world, not just Israel, not just America, by the way. Uh, he's concerned about the whole world. And he sends them out two by two. Now, this isn't one of our principles. You know, we're going to go through principles. I think we have four or five. This isn't one of those, but he sends them out two by two. We don't go on a solo mission. Do you get that? <laughs> he put us together as a body, as a group. And so for us, one of the ways that we go together, and that's why we're, we're doing our groups, outpost groups, and they're called outposts because we're going, but we're going together. And that's why we're emphasizing, if you want to be really involved here, get in a group, Okay. Text group, you know, you, had, you saw it up there, text group, sign up in the back or, or fill out one of those forms and put it in. We want to get you plugged in because going alone, you're going to get picked off. Wolves are going to eat you. <laughs> we want to go together. So he sends them off two by two. Now look at this. He says this uh, in verse one. It says, the Lord appointed 72. The Lord. This is a, kind of a unique time where Luke uses the word Lord. Who Jesus is, the picture is because we go with his authority. They were sent with his authority. We know we were too. Look at the Great Commission. It says, all authority has been given to me, now I send you. We are sent with Jesus' authority to go. And this is in your notes. When a Jesus follower goes on God's mission, they go with God's authority. They go with God's authority. That's exciting. It's not your own authority. It's God's authority. There's one Lord, Jesus. We go with his authority. And he sends them ahead, two by two, to every place he's going to go. In verse two, he says this. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Again, how do we begin? Prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. <laughs> There's a prayer group that meets Saturday mornings here at nine. There's another one that meets Sunday mornings here at nine. You should be praying. We've had this, uh, this challenge. Try and pray 10 minutes a day on your own. Couples, pray together. Come to these corporate. Prayer is how we begin. And again, Jesus says it again. Go, but begin with prayer. And this is principles of community transformation. Number one, begin with prayer and dependence on the Lord. Begin with prayer and dependence. We've said this before. We're going to say it over and over and over again. Anything that God does through you is simply a result of what God is doing in you. Meaning if you are not dependent on Jesus Christ day in and day out, you're not going to be very useful to the kingdom. And me too. <laughs> if I am not dependent, which means how are we dependent? Time with God. Time with God. If you don't know how to do it, we have uh, these free daily devotionals in the back. They are awesome. They will teach you how to go to the word and hear from God how the Bible will speak directly to you, but it takes that. And if, we're, if you're not going to spend time with God, I got to tell you, you're not going to experience the fruit. It's as simple as it's just 10 minutes a day, begin in there. And the more time you spend with him, the more time you want to spend with him. But we have to be dependent. So it begins with prayer and dependence on, on the Lord. And he says to pray that God will send laborers into the harvest. 
Uh, the harvest is an eschatological term of the end. In the end, when Jesus comes back and the dead are raised, that's the, the harvest is everybody who's going to, by faith, accept Jesus as Lord. And he said the harvest is plentiful. I think that's significant. He says plentiful. There are many that will be drawn to God. Why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Why, why not? Peter says this. He says the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, that is coming back. But he's patient toward you, not wishing that any should parents, but that all should come to repentance. I think we're going to see a revival. I think it's coming. I think God's waiting for it. He's going to come back, but we better get busy so many will be drawn to him so he can come back. But plentiful, that's exciting. Many are going to be drawn to him. But what do we pray for? So we pray, we pray that laborers will be sent into the harvest. Who is it that prays for laborers to go into the harvest? Laborers. Laborers pray for more laborers. So he's sending two to each city, and they're going, and they're praying that people will be converted and become workers. That then they will come, they will have life, and they will go. And that's, what, that's the pattern you see in Scripture. The woman at the well, she meets Jesus, she goes and draws many more to him. The demoniac in Mark, that a legion is cast out, and he says, Jesus, take me with you, I want to go with you. Jesus says, no, I want you to go back and tell everybody what happened. Later, churches are formed there. Uh, Paul moves into that area, and there's people that already kind of have an idea. That demoniac probably went nuts. PJ, if you know PJ, calls him Crazy Larry. And he went off and told many others probably what God did. And it was ripe then when others showed up with the gospel. It was ready. Churches were built. So a little bit off there, I guess. But laborers pray for laborers. I, I used to read this and go, okay, this is Christians not yet out doing the work. So what we're going to pray for is all those Christians that are in churches in their holy huddle, we need to pray that they'll get off their butts and go do something. That's not the context. To be honest, the context here is that we're praying that people will be converted and go into the harvest, go work. But it's laborers. There's no room here for spectator Christianity. There's no such thing. There's no such thing. We're all workers. We're all goers. But it's laborers who pray for laborers. And it's Jesus doing the sending. Again, do you see that? It's Jesus doing the sending. We don't go in our own strength. Look at verse 3. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Go, and I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Picture, picture that. What's a lamb? Picture a lamb. Cute, cuddly, white, fluffy fur. You know, is it scary? <laughs> no. We are lambs. Are you a lamb? Meaning gentle, peaceable. And you know, Alex prayed this morning in our prayer that we would be like lambs, that we would be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. That, that's the picture of a lamb, innocence, blameless. We're sent as lambs amidst wolves. Now, followers of God are often referred to as, as sheep. How is it, he says, in the midst of wolves, the, the chief opponent of a, or opponent, enemy of a, of a lamb would be a wolf. What does a lamb do if a wolf is coming after it? How does a lamb fight a wolf? It hides behind the shepherd. That's all a lamb can do. Oh my goodness, what do I, you know, <laughs> you just picture this lamb running and just standing behind the shepherd going, what's now? <laughs> you know what I mean? Because the shepherd is there. Read in, in Psalms, David writes about the shepherd. He says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know, the rod or the, the staff a shepherd would use, it was the crooked part, like little Bo Peep, and it would grab the shepherd or the sheep and draw it close. And so the shepherd draws the sheep close, but the, the, the rod, 
Shepherds back then would have competitions with the rod. They could throw that rod. They could hit things. It was a, it was a tool. Uh, David killed a lion, killed a bear with his bare hands because he clubbed him first. That was probably his rod. So this bear comes running down, and David runs out and hits it with a, a club. That's what the shepherd does. But we're sheep. We're not carrying the club. The shepherd is. So we're going out as lambs amidst wolves. All we got to do is hide behind the shepherd. All we got to do is hide behind the shepherd. But here's what you need to understand. The individual, this is in your notes, the individual or group of Jesus followers committed to God's mission, they'll receive opposition. If you are going to go, you will be opposed. Listen to me. You will be opposed. And I got to tell you right now, we're under attack right now. Last Sunday, if you were here and you know there's a lot going on. We're under attack. You know, some, I, I'm not going to share all the stories, but, but some of you here, you're experiencing it. There's some that aren't here today that are experiencing it. We're under attack. The enemy wants to stop us before we get going. And it's, it's clear. Um, because we want to expand the kingdom of God in our lives and the world around us. We're not content with a holy huddle. And the enemy is attacking families right now. The, the enemy is attacking individuals, and he's doing anything he can. Are you willing to be part of this? <laughs> here, I, I'm telling you. If you're going to go, you will be opposed, and you'll be a lamb, meaning you don't fight in your own strength, but if you get behind the shepherd, he'll protect you. What does it say in James? I think I put it in my notes. Yeah, James 4, 7. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The Bible says that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. We will be opposed, but we don't fear. I don't want you to be afraid. Instead, submit to Jesus. <laughs> Submit to Jesus, resist the enemy. The enemy has to flee. He can't do anything against us when we're submitted to God. So we will be opposed, but we will win. We will win if we stay submitted. Now look at verses four through seven with me. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. So there's a few things here that we see. Go on the road. Don't bring anything extra. Why not? And you see the same in chapter 9 when he sends out the 12. He says, don't bring two tunics. Don't bring an extra pair of sandals. It's probably what it means. You know, have sandals on your feet, but don't bring an extra pair. Why not? You're supposed to be dependent. Again, it goes back to number one. You go and you be dependent on me. I'll take care of you. Remember the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years they wandered and their clothes didn't wear out? <laughs> you know, picture the six-year-old guy's like, I've had these shoes since I was 20 and they still look brand new. <laughs> Maybe they're dusty. But God is able to provide. God is able to do whatever it takes. His point is you go and you don't worry about your, your necessities. I'll take care of those things. You can trust me. So go. Don't, don't take anything extra. No extra betting. Go dependent on God to provide. Because, and he had to tell them this because they're just like you. We want security, don't we? <laughs> we want to know. We want that big retirement account. We do. We want to know we're taken care of. We wanna, and we want to build that on our own. But really, all of that is fleeting. All of that can pass away. Just ask anybody who had a big retirement in 08 <laughs> and now they're working at Walmart because it's all gone. That's all fleeting. But we can trust Jesus at all times. So we go dependent on him to provide. And that's the next principle there, uh, or back to principle one though, that he, if we go dependent, he'll provide everything we need. 
He'll provide anything we need. Now, the other thing that you see in these verses, he says, don't greet anybody on the road. That seems kind of rude, um, but ancient greetings could have been very long. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's, there's the right way to do it. And he said, have a sense of urgency. This is a big deal. So my question to you is, do you have a sense of urgency? There are people out there lost. There are people dying. There are people that are going to go to hell if they pass away. Do we have a sense of urgency? And again, this isn't a stressful urgency. It's not like it's up to you to save souls. Jesus does the saving. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. But it, are we urgent about it? Are we going to go? Or are we content just, you know, do-do-do? Life is good. I like being in church. They're good people. We have a sense of urgency. Now, here's the other thing that we see in verses 6 and 7. Verse 7 says, And remain in the house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Number two, principles of community transformation. Find places of receptivity. Hear that? Find places of receptivity. Go where you're welcome. Go where you're welcome. Now, that sounds a little bit tough. Well, shouldn't we go where people don't want us around? Should, we're going to go to the dark places. But what he's saying is go find a person of peace is this person. It's probably somebody influential in a community, but it's somebody who's receptive to the gospel. That's who we look for. We don't want to waste our time where we're not welcome. We go where we are, where we're received, and we focus our time there, and the gospel will go through that. You, see, there's some peace there, isn't there? <laughs> we're not fighting with people who don't want us around. We go where we're welcome and put our energy there. We've been welcomed down in the Indian Hills area. We're going to keep going back. That's a place where we are received, where I think we can bring healing and help. We're going to keep going back. W where else is there that we can, we can do that, where we can be received? Um, as we've done our, our training and church planning stuff, there's a, a church planner in Arizona that we've gotten to know. And he was telling us about, in their area, one of the trouble is there's a lot of kids, he said, that we, they noticed at the school, there's a lot of kids that go home to empty houses. Latchkey kids, you'd say. You know, they get home and, and mom and dad aren't there. And it was kind of a trouble. He said, you know, what can we do for these kids? So he started a sports program, something he's good at. He's good at sports. So they started a sports program in the park across from the school. So the kids can have somewhere to go. They can participate in sports. They can learn some things. They can do a little Bible study. And so when he proposed this to the school, they were receptive. They said, that's great. How can we help you? We, we want this for our kids. He was received. He went, and it, it, it's working. It's thriving. Uh, there's kids coming to know the Lord. There's parents coming to know the Lord because they were received. Now, here's the other side, Common Ground Vegas. When they first moved into Vegas, you know, they, they meet in a school currently. They like meeting in schools down there. And he went to the first school. They said, this is where we want to be. This is the best school. They went there. The school was not willing to help them. They said, no, we don't want a church meeting here. We don't. But they didn't push it. You know what I mean? They didn't, they didn't push. They didn't try. And they went, okay. They dusted off their feet, and they went to the next best. And they were welcomed there. And that's where they stayed. They didn't stress over this one. They weren't welcome. They went to a different one. So do you get the principle for us? You don't need to waste your time places where they don't want you there. Okay, find places of receptivity. Verse 7 and 8. We'll see our, our third principle. Verse 8 says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. This was the picture. They would come into a town. They would go, you know, back then, the way it went, you would go probably to the town center. Somebody would see you there and say, oh, your visitors, come stay at my house. And they'd, they'd put you up and provide for you. He'd say, you know, wherever you are, God will provide. So this is that next principle, principle three. God will give his provision to those who go on 
his mission. Do you get that? You go in his strength for his glory, he'll provide what you need. He'll provide what you need. You can trust him. Again, it keeps coming back to that. You can trust him. He will provide. Whatever they set before you, it might be the food you like, (laughs) but he'll give you what you need. Again, we can trust him. And this is a humble position. This is what I noticed in this. Can you imagine walking into a town, having nothing extra, not knowing how you're going to eat? Somebody welcomes you in, you eat what they place. That's, that's humble. That's receiving help, receiving need. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with God using others to help you and provide for you? For me and, and my pride, that has taken some things in my life. No, I'm sufficient. I can do it. He's going, no, nah, you're not as good as you think you are. Let me help you by using others to do it. Are you willing to do that? And then here's our last two principles, and here's what I want to really focus on. It's what I want us to walk away with, okay? Verse 9. Heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Heal the sick. As you go, bring healing. That word healing is the word therapeuo. And it meant physical healing, but it was also the word used for a menial servant. Somebody who brought service. The idea is to serve to bring healing. Look at Jesus. Whenever he encountered somebody, what did he do? He brought healing. A a lot of the times, it was physical healing. He would heal their blindness. He would heal their their leprosy. He would heal. Other times, the woman at the well, he spoke into her life with grace. He gave her hope. He gave her forgiveness. Remember the woman caught in adultery? Set before him, and they're trying to trap him. They're saying, hey, the, the law says that we should stone her, but what do you say? And he looks at this woman. Just imagine being that woman for a minute. You were just caught in, in horrible sin that your law would say you should be killed for. And now you're here before the Son of God. She probably didn't know he was the Son of God. And he looks at the crowd and says, the, the one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. <laughs> and, and they walked away, oldest to youngest. Probably the oldest were like, well, I, I got lots of sin. <laughs> so they walked away until she was left alone. And he said, go and sin no more. How would you feel there? You just, you just received compassion. You just received love. Oh my goodness. That's the way we go. We don't go as the smartest ones. <laughs> we don't go proving everybody how right we are. We go with love. We go with service. We go with healing. That's when you earn the right to speak into their lives. If you're going to go and be a Jesus salesman and not offer anything to help, that's not the message. That's not God's heart. Now, I've struggled with this in my life, and here's why. Because there, is, there are those branches of Christianity, and it's borderline, are they Christianity? But it's a social gospel where you just go and you give people stuff, you, you know, and, and you provide education, you provide water, where they need, all these things, but you don't ever share the gospel. And so it's like, I struggle with that because you got to speak. And he says that too. That's the next principle there is you speak, but you bring the healing. So we need to bring the healing, but we also need to be able to speak. So here is principle four is bring healing. As you go, bring healing. In the Old Testament, if you've ever read the prophets, and and I I admit probably a lot of you are like me in life, they're boring, you don't get it, what's going on. But if you read it, they're not boring, they're pretty exciting. But you see God's heart through the prophets in the Old Testament. And his heart was several things. The messages continually were, you know, get rid of your idols and worship me alone. They were always going to their idols. But there was another message that's consistent. And he was worried about social justice. 
you know, read the book of Isaiah. One of the things God says, he says, I'm upset with you, people. <laughs> you're going to the temple, you're sacrificing, you're even giving to me, but you know what you're doing? You're ignoring the widow who's in need. You're ignoring the orphan that needs help. You walk right past him on the street and you do nothing. There's somebody strong taking advantage of somebody weak and you ignore it. God says, no, I care about them. Do something about it. Do something about it. Do something about it. And as we do something about it, we earn the right to speak. Jesus brings healing. We can bring healing too. We can bring reconciliation, life change. And then they'll go, okay, you do love me. And it shows the power of God to bring change. Then you speak the message and they're going to listen. Not always. But many will. Jesus, when he went and healed, how many of the people that he healed ended up following him? We have no idea. <laughs> we have no idea. But it's clear that many did not. Many did not. So Jesus was not doing it as an ulterior motive. People weren't a project to him. But he brought healing because he loved them. And hopefully they would respond. But they didn't always. That's going to happen with us. Are we okay with that? We can't see people as a project. We need to love people the way God does, bring healing, bring help in whatever way we can, share the gospel, and it's up to the Holy Spirit to convict, to change. But people aren't a project. You ever been a project? You know it, and it's not pleasant. You know somebody is just trying to get something out of you. Just love people. Just love people. Bring help, and God will do the rest. But then, verse uh, the fifth principle there is give a verbal witness of the kingdom. Speak. Speak. And let God change. Let God do the work. And it comes back to that. Again, we began in, with prayer and dependence. Now, bear with me. Here's the picture that I got as we were looking at this, as I was thinking of it, is God is the one that does the change. The Holy Spirit is the one who convicts, that changes the life. But yet, we are his hands and feet on this earth. God does nothing without doing it through his people. So here's the picture. You know, maybe you've seen one of these movies where something dramatic happens, you know, or something's crazy. And so, you know, there's, there's some people in a house and, and one is dying. You know, they need the surgery. There's been, you know, it's like post-apocalyptic, some big traumatic thing. And so they're crushed and their lung is filling up with fluid and they're dying. And there's somebody else there going, oh, you know, they're going to die. What's going on? And, and somehow they get connected on the phone to a doctor. And they're telling them what's going on. Well, the doctor can't get there. The doctor's over there. Okay, tell me what's going on. Oh, well, he's breathing hard. Now listen to the breathing as they're gurgling. Yes, there's gurgling. Okay, that means that there's fluid going in. There's blood going into the lungs. You need to relieve that. What? Yes, you come do it. I, I can't do it. You're the one there. I need you to find a syringe. So, I mean, just picture that. You know, going through the kitchen. Here's somebody there dying. And so going through the kitchen. Okay, I have a syringe. Now what? Now stick it into their lung. What? <laughs> just do it. You know, feel down. Feel the rib. Stick it in there. You know, and you just picture this where somebody then sticks it in, relieves it. <gasps> you know, and now they can breathe again and their life was saved. Well, who was, who was the, the energy, the mind behind all that? It was the doctor on the other end of the phone. But the doctor wasn't there to do it, so it was the person there in the situation that had to do that work. Not, not a perfect example, but that's kind of the picture that I see. God wants to do things here. He wants to bring healing, but he wants to use you. And so you may feel very inadequate, and you are. But if you're dependent, he'll do it. So we are constantly listening to him and dependent, and we're going, and going, okay, God, what do we do in this situation? Uh, uh, do this, do that, you know, and we're going to his word, and he's showing us, but we're going, and he does the work. He gets the credit. Do you get that? Again, anything that we do of value for God is an overflow of what he's doing in us. It's not up to you, but are you available? Are you tapped in? 
and he's going to make that change. What might it look like for us to bring healing? Think about it. What might it look like? Now, in Scripture in this, a lot of it was physical healing, miraculous healing. What might this look like for us? Take that principle to right now. Where around you is there hurt? Where can you step in and do something about it? A couple things that came to my mind. Uh, One, up at Jack's Valley, uh, tutoring. They need tutors. I met with the principal a while ago, a couple weeks ago. They need tutors. Do you know what a big deal it is to read? (laughs) You ever known anybody that struggled with reading? They think they're stupid. They lose confidence in life. It's a big deal. A way that you can help is to go and help kids learn how to read. That's actually a big deal. How can we bring healing? That's one. How else can you bring healing? I was talking to a, a guy that's involved with Rite of Passage. Um, and these kids are struggling and these, they're in trouble. And I said, and I thought I knew the answer, but I asked him, what do these kids need most of all? I think he said parents that aren't idiots. <laughs> Something like that. I said, okay, so what can we do best to help these kids? And I, was kind of, I knew the answer. I was trying to get it from him, though, but he said it. If, if we can get the parents before they get to that point, that's the best thing we can do for those kids. So are there parents around you that need help, that you can teach them how to parent, that you can come alongside, build a relationship, and help them? That's a big deal. You could be saving a kid's life by helping their parents, bringing healing. One of my professors in seminary talked about his... Uh, his wife, she had some health issues, and so she couldn't do the things she used to do going out. But one of the things she could do, she had a, a science degree. And so she noticed kids, similar type of thing, latchkey kids getting off the bus, going into empty houses. And every year, you know, there's those science projects. Maybe you parents have done that. We helped Lydia just invent a brush with sh- shampoo and conditioner in the brush. Really kind of cool. Um, but of course, I had to do the work on the brush to make it work. But kids have these science projects. You know, the... the solar system. Everybody's made one of those in their lives with the sun and whatever. And, um, so this, this woman, she was stuck at home, but what she could do was she could help these kids whose parents don't have time to help them with their science projects. She invited them, instead of coming to your house, let them come to my house for this month. I will give them a snack, take care of, and I will help them do their science projects. That sounds minor, but it was a big deal. These kids now are getting loved on. These kids are doing really good science projects. They're learning about science, and then she gets to tell them about Jesus. Some of those kids were saved. Some of their parents were saved because their parents were like, what are you, who are you? You live four doors down, and you're helping my kids do their science projects? She brought healing where she could. She brought help where she could, and God worked through that. So the question for us, and this is the big thing I want us to take away, is this is relational. Where can you, where do you see hurt that you can do something about? that you can bring healing in a relational way. Where is it? And I think a lot of these God has already given you access to. And this is in your notes. And if you don't do it right now, do it later today. Write it down. You know, if you're doing it on the app, there's a spot for you. Write it down. Come to Outpost Group this week and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it in our Sunday or in our women's group on, not us, but you all, on Tuesdays and our men's group Tuesday night. We'll talk about that. Where are we? And you know what? Some of this is difficult and we'll work it through, but it's also exciting. Where has God placed you where you can bring healing? Some of you are doing it right now. Awesome. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Your family is still first. But where can God use you? Now, I want you to think about this. What if, what if we all took this seriously? What if, 
What if each of us, I don't know how many there are here, you know, but what if each of us really believed that God wanted to change this community? What if we believed that Jesus did come to seek and save the lost and to give life abundantly and he wanted to do it here? What if we believed it? What if we weren't just hearers of the word, but doers? What if we went dependent on him? What if all of us did it? Oh my gosh. What if, what if each of us reached one person a year? Do the math. By the end of the first year, you know, we've had roughly 80, 90 of us, and I'm counting kids in this, because kids count. At the end of the first year, we'd be doubled. We'd see 80 converts, 80 people. And again, this is up to God to do the changing. But what if, <laughs> what if, and what if they learn to do it too? I mean, look at what could happen as we just focus, and we don't have to have a broad focus. You don't need to think, I need to impact 10 people. It could be just one. That's okay. What has God done? What if, okay, in, in these two valleys, about 100 thousand people live you know realistically four to six seven thousand know jesus maybe what if all four to seven thousand took this seriously what would happen oh my goodness god would do great things through just that small number actually believing actually dependent on god actually bringing healing in his name and speaking the message what would happen i believe god wants to do it and it starts with you and it starts with me it starts with us together let me pray, and we're going to close in worship. Lord Jesus Christ, um, 